Welcome back, everybody, to the United States Border Patrol Academy with another edition of What's Important Now, where we talk about things that are important to you, the men and women of the United States Border Patrol, your families, and those we serve. Today, we have with us visiting the Academy, Chief Patrol Agent Chris Clem from the Yuma Sector. Chief, thanks for coming. Good morning. Thank you, Chief. I appreciate it. This is really an honor and uh, my first podcast with the Border Patrol. This is great. Now, this is a, you're here for a specific purpose. You're actually going to be the senior mentor for class 1164. So you're here to make your introduction to that class today. Yes, I'm looking forward to that. This is, again, everything that you've uh, talked about uh, uh, leading up to this. I'm really excited about it. It's a good opportunity for me uh, to learn a lot uh, from the, the new class and also uh, hopefully share a few uh, nuggets of information along the way. I hear the background. Yeah, I hear the background noise also. Uh, all right, testing one, two, three, one, two, three. No background noise, no background noise. You know what? To get rid of this, let's try this again. Testing one, two, three, testing one, two, three, no background noise, no background noise. There we go. These directional mics, I tell you sometimes. Is that what it was? Is the uh, it's a direction, yeah. It's, the, it's not the steel plate in my head that's causing I hope not. Are we good? Is what we had this one. You know what? Since we're, it's only two minutes in, let's let's do it again. If you don't mind. I had the intro all good. Now you're I, I didn't even have to look at his notes. That's a, a good news. So we'll start off. Yeah, just a little bit closer. Just a little. Okay. There we go. All right. That's what I'm talking about. All right. All right. Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to the United States Border Patrol Academy with another episode of What's Important Now. We talk about the things that are important to you, the men and women of the United States Border Patrol, your families, and those we serve. Now, here with us today, we have a guest, special guest, Chief Patrol Agent for the Yuma Sector, Chris Clem. Chief, thanks for being here. Hey, thank you, Chief. I appreciate it. I'm uh, I'm very excited about being here. Uh, first podcast with the Border Patrol, uh, and, and just excited about the opportunity today. It's going to be fun. How was your trip out? Great, great. We went through... Uh, I did the mountains through Rio Doso, all that snow. It was uh, it was uh, it was nice uh, coming from the desert, some sand to the trees and the mountains with all the snow. It was great. So you got a chance to actually make a, a cross country drive, I guess. It pretty much was. It seemed uh, cross country. In fact, one of the first things uh, we noticed is there's a snow on the ground from East Tucson all the way till we got through the mountains in Rio Doso. So it was. Uh, great and refreshing. It's amazing how the terrain changes from one sector to the other, just along the border. Maybe the same job that we do, but the way that we have to apply it based on the environment, wherever we go, seems to always change somewhere. Makes this awesome job already that we do just that much more exciting because you get to, to see the great beauty of this country. Uh, you get to challenge yourself just by how you're going to react and how, uh, how you're going to teach people to do their job um, from coastline to the sand dunes out there in Imperial um, in California to uh, the mountains of, you know, the Boot Hill of New Mexico. So that's great. And you of all people certainly have some uh, some vast experience on the different types of terrain and different areas that the U.S. Border Patrol operates. But let's talk about why you're here today. So first and foremost, you're here to actually uh, be the senior mentor for class 1164. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, I'm excited about it. I think uh, the whole Camp Chigas initiative that uh, you put forth that all the sector chiefs uh, agreed on, I think it's great. Um, it's an opportunity for us to really see you know, the men and women as they're, they're growing through this job and be able to share some wisdom and, and some, you know, blind spots along the way that we've, uh, we've come across and we've learned from. And, uh, and hopefully uh, there's a, there's a future uh, chief in, in that crowd today uh, that I'll be speaking to. Well, and you hit the nail on the head because when we came in, we didn't have the benefit of a lot of this uh, experience to, to talk to some of the mentors, some of the people that had been around for a long time to get a sense of what we were joining. And you mentioned Camp Chigas as an initiative. And for those that don't know, Camp Chigas was the very first Border Patrol Academy about 86 years ago. And it was brought on by a recognition from field leadership at the time that we needed to standardize the training, both for the ability to do the job well and for officer safety. So we've kind of taken a page from our past and we are having the senior leadership for the United States Border Patrol today take part in the academy on the resiliency and the honor first side where we actually teach them not just how to do the job the right way but why they do the job and to make sure they have the right mindset so they're doing the the right thing for the right reasons and no better example than somebody that's a, a senior leader in the organization that has has done all of the things that you've done yeah i appreciate that i, I think uh, looking back uh, as you were talking i was thinking about it over the 25 years i've been in this outfit uh there were a lot of things that uh, that I learned, um, a lot of things I had to learn the hard way, 
Uh, and you're right, we didn't get the opportunity to, to really interact with senior leadership. Uh, it was usually accidental or it was it was bad bad news. Fortunately, I didn't have those the bad news situations. But, uh, uh, you know, it was, uh, I remember EOD in El Paso in July of 95. And uh, the PIC came by for about 30 minutes and that was it until we graduated the academy. Um, there was a furlough going on uh, at the end uh, when I was graduating. So we didn't have hardly anybody there to graduate as the chief of the academy at the time did show up. Um, but it, everything else was kind of live and learn, and uh, and then you had to seek things out. So to see the organization grow, to have the academy leadership take a, a personal responsibility for what you're doing here, and getting senior leaders across the field to come out here is great. I think I think the men and women that are going to be exposed to this uh, program are going to be that much better when they're sitting in our shoes one day. I think so too. And quick story from my end, kind of echoing what you said. When we got to our station, I started in Calexico, California, and, and my classmates that, uh, that may listen will probably remember this story. But when you got to your station, you were supposed to get your second badge. You only got your first badge issued to you at the academy. And because I was the youngest one in the class, I got nominated to go up and ask our patrol agent in charge. His name was uh, Randall Stickles about our second badge. He happened to be in the in the muster room with us. And so I walked up, and uh, as he was talking to people, they both turned and looked at me, and it was not a good look. And so I, uh, in for a penny, in for a pound. So I asked the question. So we were just wondering about when we were going to get our second badges. And I'm thinking he's about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, you know, a very imposing individual at the time. And he just looks at me and he says, let's see if you can hang on to that first one first. So I turned around and I went to walk back to my classmates who at that point forgot I even existed. They were looking any other direction but me. <laughs> And had, of course, I got a hard time for it for uh, for a while after that. But that was kind of the the stigma. You didn't go up and talk to the leadership either at the station level or certainly not at the sector level. And that's one of the things that we're trying to change with this endeavor. No, I, we were kind of talking about uh, kind of when we first got in um, before this podcast started. And when I showed up at Lordsburg Station, I was given a uh, an orange canteen. And a, um, I don't even know what you call them anymore, but there was like a seat vent. It was, uh, it was, you know, vinyl with the, the springs in it. It was basically a, a seat cool because that was, you know, the AC would run through and it would help you cool you off. And that was the extent of what we got. Uh, we had to go buy our own flashlights. And if you got your own flashlight, it had batteries. Um, and this is 1995. So it wasn't like it was, you know, back in the old, old, old patrol, but, uh, yeah, it was a challenge. We didn't get our, our vests until nine months in. Uh, we didn't have a radio till we we're almost a year in. It was just a different time. And uh, in when I'm, I had three classmates that went to Lordsburg, um, it was me and two others. And we made, um, I think I was, I was Lima 23 at the time and we had 24 and 25, but there was a couple missing spots. So there was less than 25 of us at that station. Uh, in the Blue Wheel of Mexico. So it was, it was just kind of crazy. It's amazing to look back and see just how much this organization has changed and evolved just in the last 25 years, let alone even further. We went from just a few hundred to a few thousand and, and largely unknown as an organization and the job that uh, just insurmountable, the job that these men and women were asked to do at the time. And it's, it's still a tough job today, but so much better equipped, so much better trained, and, and there's a lot more of us out there. I think if you put that in perspective, it's We've done a lot of good as an agency in how we grow. You, uh, you're right about that. I think uh, when you look at not only how we take care of our new employees, new agents, but just in our mission. Um, 25 years ago, you had water for the people we encountered. A um, few years in, they started having granola bars and snacks. I would say early 2000s, there was frozen burritos. Um, and then now you look at where we're at today with contract meals. So every... Every situation, every administration, um, we evolve, both in the way we take care of the people we encounter and most importantly, how we are uh, addressing the border security mission, uh, but even more so now how we're investing in the people. Because at the end of the day, you know, the command philosophy that I've always lived by is mission, people, self, but it, it really is the people. And you hear people say, you know, mission first, people always. And, that, and that's where we've come uh, a long way from where it was, to your point, you just didn't see senior, senior uh, leadership like a PIC even mention, talk to them. Now we would, that PIC, if they're not talking to their trainees, we've, we'd have another conversation with them. So um, I think uh, the evolution is great for this organization. Um, I think we're, we're better off because of the evolution, both uh, uh, you know, 
well, on all fronts, but certainly on the investment back into our workforce, both the uniformed uh, uh, board of trainees and our professional staff in, in, in all areas. And I, I think we have made a lot of progress, and uh, I also think we have a long way to go. We continue to get better, and I think we uh, we learn from our mistakes, and, and as, as an agency, as a family, as a green family, it's uh, we grow and, and, and get better. And at, at the end of the day, all we can hope is that uh, we hand off the reins to the next generation, and they continue to make it even better. You want the next generation coming behind you to be better than you were. Oh, absolutely. And I think uh, you and I have both been lifelong learners and have continued to seek opportunities to get better at, at our current position and our future positions. And uh, I've always kind of lived by the rule of the day. I think I know it all. I don't need to learn anymore. It's time to retire. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, CBP as a whole, Border Patrol uh, as an agency has done great about investing back in the workforce. And, uh, and, and so, that kind of gets back to why we're here, right? This is how we can give back. These are great opportunities. And I am looking forward to the, this journey with Class 1164. And I talk about this all the time with uh, with folks that visit here, especially the ones that uh, have risen to the senior ranks uh, within the organization. When I talk to the classes, I say, forever and always, your class number and your classmates will be special for you. They will carry a special place in your heart. And to prove that point, why don't you give us your class number and your class motto? Class 289, entrust the line to 289. And 25 years later, just like that, it yep. comes up. Everybody, everybody remembers their class number. Everybody remembers your class motto. And I would go out on a limb and say, you probably still to this day keep in touch with some of your classmates. I definitely do. There's, uh, you know, that's one of the great things about uh, the uh, social media, the internet, and having uh, chief Instagrams and chief uh, Twitters and chief Facebooks uh, allows us to connect with some people that, you know, maybe work in uh, 3,000 miles away. Absolutely. So you're a native of New Orleans, yes. Louisiana. Yes. How in the world did you find the Border Patrol? Well, it, it's, a, it's a great story. So uh, originally from New Orleans, um, in the early 70s, my, uh, my family uh, moved to Houston, and uh, I pretty much grew up in Houston, Texas. I, um, you know, I started off playing, uh, I went to college to play football at Southwestern Louisiana, and that, that didn't last very long. Um, scout team, uh, it just it, it took a toll, and so... Uh, I ended up coming back to Houston and enrolling at Sam Houston State University in Huntsville, Texas, um, criminal justice major. And, um, you know, I knew about the Border Patrol having grown up in Texas and uh, gone to South Padre Island and seen the Border Patrol around the, the border there. Um, and I had an advisor say, hey, the Border Patrol is hiring. And this was early 95. And uh, one of my um, one of my fraternity brothers uh, said, hey, we should we should do this. And um and I had already set up an internship with the uh, Texas Alcohol and Beverage Commission. I was all excited. I was going to be deputized, working in Victoria, Texas. And um, we went up to Dallas and did one of those um, uh, mass hiring and back to back, which is kind of funny because um, passed the test and they set up the interview the very next week, which happened to be uh, on Valentine's Day. Well, my girlfriend, which is now my wife, it would have been our first Valentine's Day. I said, I can't. I can't take you out. I've got to go to Dallas for for interview for for career sacrifice started even before you were married. <laughs> and she did. She I mean, I always tease her about that. Is uh, you knew getting in right that there was gonna be a lot of sacrifices. Uh, um, but uh, so I you know I got offered the uh, a position. Actually, it was gonna be in Laredo, and I was supposed to EOD in April, and I was nine hours short of graduating. I said, Oh my gosh, my parents have helped me get through college. I can't leave nine hours short of a, of a degree. So I reached out to the point of contact and said, is there any way you can push me back until after May? And uh, she's like, well, there's an opportunity for July 9th, but it's not Texas. It's, it's Lordsburg, New Mexico. And I, we had a Rand McNally map, a big map, and I'm flipping through the pages and I look, find New Mexico and Lordsburg had big letters compared to all the little towns like, oh, I'll take it. And so I had to call my advisor and change my intern hours. And so I, I took nine hours of summer school to complete my degree. Uh, I had three days, um, and then I got on a plane and flew to El Paso, and, and the rest of the is history. And that was your first visit, I'm guessing, to El Paso or uh, Lordsbury Special. Oh, yes. I had been uh, about as far west as Del Rio on a hunting trip uh, uh, with family uh, throughout uh, growing up in Houston. And, uh, and so, yes, uh, on, a, on a flight to, uh, to El Paso, it was kind of – it was almost – the flight was delayed for mechanical. I'm like, is this the right decision I need to be making? And, and got into uh, got into El Paso on a Sunday night and was at El Paso sector. Uh, chief Reyes, Silver Reyes, was uh, the chief then. And uh, we got sworn in the very next day. So 
when you got in, did you think, okay, this is going to be my career, or were you looking at it as this would be good to try and then see what happens in a few years? No, that's that's an awesome question because that was actually one of the uh, during the uh, um, oral uh, interview with the hiring board. You know, I really did think oh, this would just be a stepping stone into into federal law enforcement. Uh, the uh, movie The Fugitive mm -hmm. uh, with Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford, that version had, had was really popular going into this. I'm like, oh yeah, blue jeans and a sport coat, that's what I'm gonna do. And um, I've never looked back. Uh, I, I started out in Lordsburg, New Mexico and uh, Hidalgo County, New Mexico had a little over 3,000 people in the whole county. My high school had over 3,000 people when I was a graduating senior. And so uh, um, to, to make that transition and go from big city, Houston, one of the top five cities in, in, in population, 24-7, to Hidalgo County, Lordsburg, New Mexico. But it was great. And um, I got married two weeks after I uh, EOD into the field after the academy. And um, my wife and I came out. And you know, the rest is history. The rest is history. It, it's so funny to me that that is so often a common story for most of us of our generation. It, we kind of stumble into the work patrol. And we find out what it's about and we get into it, not thinking in terms of this is going to be a, a forever thing, but it turns into it for so many of us because of what we find when we get here. And that's one of the things that, that we really try and focus on for, for the trainees is this isn't just an organization. Uh, by virtue of the fact of what we're asked to do and, and the difficulty of our job, there's a bond there. There's something that makes this, uh, this a special thing. You even talk to people that, that are no longer in the Border Patrol, whether they have retired or moved on. And they always look back, and it's a source of pride that they served in that uniform. No, there's no doubt about that. I mean, um, as I mentioned earlier, there was less than 25 of us in Lordsburg. And uh, a small station, small town, um, you were part of the community. Um, and you had no other choice. Uh, we, at first, I lived up in, in Silver City and, and was commuting down the mountain every day. And then uh, my wife got a, a long-term substitution job as a, as a teacher. And I said, well, we're not both going to drive down this hill every day. So uh, we moved to Lordsburg, um, and uh, and we became part of the community. Um, she uh, she was ended up being a teacher, you know. Um, we even left Lordsburg, promoted a couple of years later, um, back in two thousand to Sierra Blanca, even smaller town, you know, with one flashing light and one paved road, and that was another great opportunity. And then uh, we went back to Lordsburg, um, and so uh, I did it collectively almost ten years in Lordsburg, uh, both as a, as a as a trainee, a journeyman. And then as a supervisor in FOS, um, the small station, the community, you, you just got to do a little bit of everything. And it was really to make the organization work, to, to, to be successful as an agent and as a station and as a sector, everybody had to be part of the team. And you, had, you got to be on horse patrol and ATVs. You, know, you did uh, the listening post, observation post, LPOPs. Um, if we were lucky to get Bortac or something to come out there, most of the time it was us up there on the side of a hill uh, for a couple of days and uh, with MREs, which was a cool thing because I didn't have prior military service. So I thought it was kind of cool to have MREs. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And and, that, and, and it just stuck with me. And, uh, and the opportunities, uh, if you sought them out, I had good leadership that if you sought out the opportunity and you were worthy of it, they would support you. And I think that's really, you know, one of the key messages uh, to all um, to all leaders, whether you're a first line or a PIC or a chief, if you have people that are seeking out opportunities and they're doing a great job, support those opportunities because you could be, you know, supporting the future chief because that's what uh, what my PICs did to me. And that's great advice. It, something that strikes me about that particular time period that you mentioned when we had a lot fewer people, you knew that you were getting overrun. You knew that you were getting beat by the smugglers and, and the, uh, the traffickers. It was fun. So you had that you had that sense that it was a blast to go out there and do the job every single day. There was a sense of frustration because you knew that there was things getting by. I think that probably still resonates today, despite the fact that we're almost 20,000 strong and we have a lot more in, in the way of uh, those force multipliers. You know, we do have the, uh, the barrier. We do have a lot better infrastructure to access the border. We have a lot better technology than we've ever had before. All that aside, we still get beat. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, going back to um, to uh, the earlier days when when we would have competitions between shifts. You know, if I could go round up twenty or thirty people and then have to turn them over to the other team to process, and so at the end of the month we could say we caught a thousand aliens and and you didn't, or we caught two thousand pounds of, of marijuana and you didn't. And they're like, well, because we were having to process. There's that fun competition, but when you to your point, 
if we were catching this many on, on this shift, we knew others were getting by. And so there was that frustration, especially uh, in, in some remote areas um, that weren't as busy as, you know, an El Paso station or a Santa Teresa station. Or in, in Arizona, when I did time in Arizona, you know, obviously Nogales and Douglas were being overrun at times. Um, but so, yeah, it, it happens. And so to, to see an evolution of uh, what I like to call the border security system, I mean, it, it is. It, it goes back to uh, what we talked about in early 2000, we need personnel, technology, and infrastructure. So to my point earlier, each uh, each administration, each each evolution of time, there's, there's more being added to help us do our job. But, uh, you know, um, the bad guys are trying to always beat us. And I think the TCOs are commodity neutral. Whatever it is they can uh, profit off of and whatever they can exploit, they're going to do it. Unfortunately, they, they, uh, it happens too often with human beings and they don't know what's happening to them until it's too late. And, uh, and Border Patrol has to come in and take care of business, which is what we've always doing for almost 97 years now. And, and I think uh, you hit on a couple of good points. So, number one, the type of person that tends to be drawn to the law enforcement profession in general, there's a there's a level of competition there. And, and there's also a, a desire to do the job well. You feel a calling because you're wanting to serve a higher purpose. And it kind of gets you right here when you see that, uh, that you're not able to make that impact that you think that you could be making. The other thing I think that you that you mentioned is this idea, contrary to what may have been spun in the media in times past, this idea of asking for those force multipliers, the, the, the border system where you have barrier, where you have infrastructure technology, this is nothing new. We have been identifying these as things that we need both for the job and for our officers' safety for at least as long as I've been. I'm assuming the same is true for you. Oh, absolutely. I'll go back to uh, the chief that EOD me, Silver Reyes, I mean, with uh, withhold the line and, and Gus De Lavina out there and um, gatekeeper out in San Diego. That was right before I got in. 93, 94 was, was the heyday for that, where they were putting up chain link barrier to slow things down in El Paso. And over time, we, we, we've all seen the evolution from chain link to, to landing mat, to, to wire mesh, to, to steel bollards. And, uh, and so this ask and this requirement has never changed. Um, I think the, the, the things that have changed is that technology has is, is improved and, you know, the systems that, uh, uh, that we're getting and we're able to try out are, are paying huge dividends. And I think that we're just going to continue to build off of that solid foundation. But as long as, and I think to go back to uh, what Chief, uh, Chief Fisher has said, as long as there's people trying to come in or do harm to the United States, there's always going to be something we need to do, you know, to, to address that threat. And um, even to this day, it was, uh, you know, you have Chief Scott talking about that's in our DNA, the, the, the law enforcement, the draw, the, the secure the border. That's something that just comes natural to us. We, it's the other things where we're looking to be a little more agile and nimble and use technology. That's where we can, you know, truly excel. Um, I think all of us that wear the uniform know, hey, why we got in to do this job. And now we just got to do it smarter and better. And, and that's that's the fun part. That's what makes it exciting about coming to work every day is there's going to be an opportunity to just continue to improve. And when it comes to where you get your information from, you know, there's plenty of folks out there that have an opinion about border security, that have an opinion about uh, immigration or even what narcotics should be deemed legal and illegal. But in terms of where you get your information, the person providing that information in order to be the, the most educated, I think, should come from a subject matter expert. And for those that are listening right now, I want to talk a little bit about the expertise that a chief in the United States Border Patrol uh, comes to us with. So Chief Clem here, he talks about uh, coming in in 1995, 25 years, uh, class 289, started in Lordsburg. You actually promoted to a senior patrol agent, which is no longer in existence right now. I want to talk about that in a second. You went on to be a supervisory Border Patrol agent, but among your other list of accolades here, Besides being the chief patrol agent of the Yuma sector, you were acting chief of the Big Bend sector. You were the deputy chief of both New Orleans and El Paso, Texas, which surprises me that you would leave New Orleans since you <laughs> are from there. You served as an associate chief in headquarters where you were the acting deputy chief of programs. You spent some time in Tucson sector as an assistant chief and an acting director of mission readiness. You've been a patrol agent in charge of four stations, Casa Grande, Isleta, Truth or Consequences, and Albuquerque. So safe to say you have been around and you have seen what this job is all about and you have a good idea of what it takes to do it right. Well, but first of all, thank you. Uh, and you're right. It's, um, it's been the, the diversity and the complexities are amazing. When you, you look at uh, my first 
PAIC position, true to consequences, and the substation Albuquerque. I had, uh, you know, eight people in TRC and two people in Albuquerque. And, uh, you know, we were, we were targeted enforcement, uh, intel-based. Uh, so that was, you know, again, uh, almost like a third or fourth line of defense. So we had to certainly uh, be smart, uh, use intel, and, and just be really savvy of how we do business because there's a propensity to not want Border Patrol that far north. And, and I understand why. Uh, our motto in, 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 uh, while I was there was to plug the gaps and to connect the dots back to the border. Any apprehension that we made uh, in TRC or Albuquerque, we wanted to see how we can connect that back to uh, where their entry was, especially if it was a recent entry. Now, certainly you have some domiciled uh, people up there that may have been here for a couple of years. You know, we just process them and turn them over. But if we had a smuggling load, we would reach out to the to the station of entry and say, hey, this is what's happening. And I get it. Nogales may have had three or four hundred entries that day. and They really weren't worried about the 10 that we caught. Uh, but it was important for our agents to understand how how their role was. Um, then I go to Isleta as the PAIC, and I'm right there on the line when the first uh, K projects of wire mesh fence were coming in, and that was that was a great, exciting urban environment with just again dynamic changes. Um, I learned a lot in that uh, in that role because it was a large station, and and we had uh, uh, we had a lot of impacts with uh, everything going on in Juarez at the time. It was. If I'm not mistaken, it was one of the bloodiest cities in, in, the, in, the, in the world outside of Kabul, Afghanistan back then. Yep. And so we had to be very vigilant and we had to make sure both on and off duty, we were doing things right. And then um, then I had an opportunity to go out to Casa Grande, which at the time focused area two for the Tucson sector. Uh, it was one of the busiest stations in the United States, both in apprehensions and seizures. And so that was another dynamic, challenging environment um, that uh, you know, it gave me opportunities to get up to headquarters and where I could educate and inform and influence. And then left headquarters and came to New Orleans, a coastal sector uh, by name because it was on the coast. We had zero uh, marine assets. Uh, we, we worked over the road traffic that came out of, out of uh, uh, Laredo and Rio Grande Valley. So going back to targeting uh, of Intel um, working with partners, uh, local relationships with the, with the state uh, police departments, as well as the, the county or parish uh, sheriff's department, really paid off with using technology and, and intel to combine that. Um, I had an uh, opportunity to go back to Tucson as an assistant chief, and because of my prior experiences, uh, within a few months, I was uh, the acting uh, division chief of mission readiness. And... Um, as luck would have it, I, I was promoted into the SCS cadre uh, that year and, and EOD'd uh, in April of 18 in El Paso. And so uh, just looking at that dynamics from small station off the border to big station on the border to an even larger station in a very busy border to the beltway, <laughs> to the coast, it, it again, it offers so many opportunities. Now, it came with challenges. Uh, you know, family said, hey, we got to stay here because the kids have moved around in school. Um, so I, I did a lot of this on my own where my wife and, and kids stayed behind. Uh, so, you know, there's challenges that way. But um, I had great support from my uh, both my wife and my kids, but also my parents and my in-laws knowing, hey, we're proud of what you're doing and you're going to make a difference. And, uh, and so uh, I got to see, again, a lot of the country, a lot of the dynamics of the Border Patrol. And, uh, and and it's it's been great, and we're still going. It's great, good well, stuff. And so, for those that don't know, the United States Border Patrol breaks up the country into sectors, and within the sectors, there are stations. So much like a precinct of a city, and so there are twenty sectors in the nation. Plus, you have the U.S. Border Patrol Academy, and you have the Special Operations Group, and then you have a headquarters component. So there's actually twenty-two chiefs out in the field that answer to the headquarters element in Washington, D.C. And as you can see, Chief Clem has been around a lot of them, and he's got to experience what we mean when we talk about how, depending on where you go, this job changes. The mission always remains the same, but the way that we go about it, because of the environment, because of how we are configured, it changes. And I always say, I'll say it, I'll say it again, if you get bored in the United States Border Patrol, you simply are not trying. You're not looking because in addition to the different places you can do the job, there's a hundred different jobs you can do. Canine handling, intel, recruiting, special operations. The list goes on and on. Of course, being in training here at the academy, I always advocate for that because we need we need good people. But that gives you a, a certain level of expertise 
and a perspective on it that, that not many people have. And so when you say these are the things we need to be able to do the job right and do it safely, it makes sense that that is the voice that people would listen to to formulate their opinions. Have you found that to be true whenever you speak? Yes, yes, uh, and, and you're right. Uh, it's really hard to be bored. You have to go look to be bored in this, in this uh, outfit. Uh, one, one of the challenges uh, coming back to New Orleans was uh, all the other places, Border Patrol had been the big dog. Everybody, every other agency, whether state, local, or federal, wanted Border Patrol, needed Border Patrol. We had more resources. We had the more people. You go to New Orleans, and we were, I mean, I had stations that had more people on shifts than the whole sector. Um, so the, again, challenge and have to be able to be um, a very uh, resourceful and creative of how you're going to go about being successful. But yes, uh, I think with any topic, and you, you talked about it a minute ago about subject matter experts, you have to look at the credibility. Who, who are these people uh, that are, are, are opining on things? And uh, you know, if they have a, 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 an academic background, I'll, I'll, I'm listening to their theory, but I also want to know from who is actually you know, where the rubber meets the road, who has put handcuffs on people, who has had to, you know, rescue people on the side of a mountaintop, who has had to, you know, uh, save a, a human trafficking situation. And that's the Border Patrol agents. And, and so uh, I've been very blessed and very fortunate to have a, a very uh, a diverse uh, uh, experiences in this organization. And so yeah, I think I, I come with a, a, a lot of credibility when I say infrastructure works, having the resources in the right places. You know, uh, asking for what we need to do the job, uh, I think it, 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 it adds value to those uh, those seeking to, to help us, whether it's uh, congressional or uh, you know, people just have questions. You know, come to the board, ask us. Um, we host a lot of uh, congressional delegations, and I think it's important when, when members of Congress are, are going to be voting on things that help us or are going to take away things that we need, that they need to come down to the board uh, and at least listen to us. Um, um, we're going to speak facts. I've always been that way, not political. I've been through multiple administrations, uh, as, as we've talked about. Um, but Border Patrol agents are going to tell you what they need to do the job and do it the best of their ability. And so uh, having that diverse experience and, 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 and being in multiple locations and seeing where things work and where things don't work, um, I think adds value. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm just, most of the chiefs have the same diverse background, including yourself. You've been to all these different locations. So um, we can have value added to these conversations. And I think you hit on another important point because the stakeholders that we engage with on a regular basis, the importance of those relationships really cannot be underscored. It's enough. It, the members of the communities along the border, they have their, their own perspective because they live and breathe along the border. They have their uh, things that are important to them. And it doesn't always coincide with what uh, the Border Patrol thinks we want from a border security standpoint, but that dialogue always exists. That communication and that working together, contrary to what you may see in the media, so many times we, we maintain very close ties with our community partners, with our congressional partners. We're always working together to try and find the best way through compromise to accomplish the mission and, and keep everybody happy. No, I, I agree. You know, um, uh, one, one thing that I've found uh, over my uh, time in the patrol is uh, there's oftentimes we agree on the what and it's just the differences in the how, and that's the gap we got to close, whether it's a congressional representative, a, a non-government organizational representative, a rancher, or the sheriff. We all agree we want a safe and secure border. We also want, we all agree that we want people treated in a, in a, in a humane and dignified manner. And, but just how we do that and how we approach it is where there's always the differences. I, a lot of times our relationship is much like the Looney Tunes between the, the, uh, the sheepdog and, and, the, and the wolf, right? I mean, they're, morning Ralph, good morning Sam, and then they, they, they go about business, they disagree and they're after each other and at the end of the day they, they check out. But uh, I've never been able to uh, not have some kind of uh, working relationship with both uh, people that really support our mission and those that have concerns with our mission. I think it goes back to transparency. I think it's about being truthful. Um, if you ask for my opinion, I will, I will, I will, you know, categorize it. This is my opinion, but I'm generally just going to speak to you in facts, and this is what I know because, um, you know, we all know about opinions. And uh, at the end of the day, um, I'm going to tell you, hey, this is what the Border Patrol and today in Yuma sector needs. 
this is a requirement for us to uh, conduct our mission, and these are the impacts of, of these requirements or if we don't meet these requirements. And I don't know how much more straightforward I can be. Uh, I'll say it with a smile, and uh, or I can say it with a stern face, depending on how we want to do this. But I think reality is, is uh, as long as we're honest and transparent and, and, and forthcoming with the information, uh, I, can, I can sleep well at night. Uh, there's a lot of things that are outside of my control. And I bring this up, and I wanted everybody to hear you kind of put it into perspective, because I think an element of that has gotten lost over the years where, no, we do work together. We do move towards the same overarching objective, and it's okay to disagree. It's okay to have discussion, robust dialogue about how to get there. But at the end of the day, we're all in this great country. We all care a lot about it, and it doesn't matter what the perspective is. At the end of the day, we're all brothers and sisters here, and we have to live in these communities, and we have to, to function and see that everybody is taken care of. And so I think having us kind of come back to the basics, come back to, to the ground on that issue, and remember, this is what it's all about. Nothing gets done in a vacuum. Nothing gets done unilaterally. It takes a team, and we learned that fact the hard way after 9-11, and I think we have only gotten better with all of the partners and stakeholders not just us, but the members of the community, the other law enforcement organizations, the NGOs, everyone. We took that lesson to heart, and it's still being applied today. Somewhere along the line, I think that narrative has gotten skewed. Well, I don't disagree with you on, on getting skewed. I think it's it's just an evolution with 24-hour um, access to information, whether it's uh, whether it's real or not. It's just information, uh, and and you got to you know make that decision if you're going to uh, trust it as credible or if it's real. Um, but, you know, going back to community, oftentimes in areas where we're, we're the guests there, you know, uh, the station was put there and agents are deploying there. But there are generations of ranchers and communities and, and businesses that have been there. And so that is a, a, a huge value to have that communication. This is their backyard. And, uh, and so, you know, they, they expect you to be part of their community and they expect you to have conversations with them. And that's, that would be my message to uh, agents um, at all levels and, and ranks is, you know, when, when you can, because sometimes I know life happens, you can't spend time in, in communities that you work, but if you can, that's a great opportunity to be part of something. Um, I, was, uh, I was in the school board when I was in Sierra Blanca. I was in the school board when I was in Dorfberg because quite honestly, there was not much to do in those towns. So you had to, after your 10, 12 hour shift, you had to find time and things to do. Uh, but it really... It, not only did it add value to humanize the border patrol agents, we weren't just these green uniformed and these green and white vehicles driving through. We actually knew we were part of the community and it created that level of trust that we, we gave back. And, um, and I know in 2021, it's a challenge. You know, uh, it's a fast food world. People, uh, their time is very valuable. Um, but uh, sometimes in these rural areas where we work, it's an opportunity. Um, to kind of give back and slow it down after work and be part of that community. I think it's great. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying for everybody to do what Chris Clem did, but uh, when that opportunity does present itself, I think it's a good thing. And it certainly helps the organization as well. That's a great segue. So I want everybody to kind of be introduced to not just Chief Clem, but let's talk about Chris Clem, the individual. Okay. So uh, you and I are friends on, on Facebook. Yes. So I, I see and keep up with uh, the goings on of you and your wonderful family. So you married for 25 years. Yes. You have two children. Yes. One of which plays football and is pretty good at it, I understand. Well, he, he was part of the, uh, up there at Northern Arizona University for three of the four years. He, uh, COVID hit, and uh, and so they were moving him in position-wise, and he had an opportunity for a, an internship, uh, which he said, you know what, Dad? I, uh, I uh, They're canceling spring. I'm graduating year. It's not like I'm going pro. I want to focus on the internship because that's going to lead to career opportunities. So, hey, that. I'm proud of you. You know, do what you got to do. You're a grown man, and so uh, so he had a, he had a good run, and we're very proud of him. And uh, he's graduating in uh, I guess the last class or April 28th, so he'll be graduating in May, four years. So that's that's a lot easier, a lot better than I did. <laughs> um, but uh, and, and I've got a, I've got a daughter who's a freshman in high school, and my wife who just turned 16, right? Just turned 16. Yeah. Um, the um, and my wife is uh, she's also ascended very high in her career. She's a director of exceptional student services. Um, in, uh, in Arizona there. So she's, uh, she's very, she's kind of my hero. She does, uh, uh, does a lot of great things, um, especially with uh, uh, students and, uh, and families of, of students with disabilities and uh, special needs. So that to me is, 
very grounding uh, for me as well. So I was going to ask you about that. I, I've seen uh, on your page enough proud papa and happy husband yeah. pictures to know that your family is very important to you. And you talk about things that uh, that keep you grounded. For all of us, work-life balance is an issue, especially in a job like this one. Give us some pointers on how to make it 25 years and keep a strong family like you have. Well, just like everything else, uh, and I'm actually kind of getting goosebumps because it, it does hit home. Um, um, we uh, we have been just open and honest uh, with everything that we've done as a family. Um, the decisions we've made has have been my wife and I, and when the kids got older, incorporated them um, to the extent that's reasonable for kids to understand why dad's moving or doing something different. But uh, we uh, we enjoy life together. Um, uh, it took a while, a couple of years for me to turn off the job after work, um, going on vacation. I'm looking at cars on the highway and she's like, you're not working. And, uh, and, uh, and so um, we, we just, we just make life fun. We really do try to find that work-life balance. She understands a hundred percent the responsibility that I have, especially now as a chief and she respects it. And so she knows that there's times where Plans get altered, that things have to turn around or what we plan on doing end up getting delayed because I had something happen or I had to go back to the office. Uh, but we've, we've kept that, we kept life fun. Uh, we don't take each other seriously. Uh, we, we, we take our love and our family serious, but we don't take each other serious. Uh, we, we laugh and have a good time. Um, we, we participate in as much stuff that we can uh, as far as uh, community events. Um, we keep close friends, um, and uh, um, we, we just really make it a family affair outside of work. Um, obviously, I don't tell them everything that goes on at work because they just don't need to know. But uh, she's she's uh, she's my confidant in a lot of things. Just say I'm, I'm, I'm troubling with things. I, I, I tell a funny story. It's not really funny, I guess. But, uh, you know, for years, those phone calls at, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning, and she'd only hear bits and pieces of me down the hallway talking and over time, um, she's always just kind of, uh, when I come back to the bedroom or, you know, I'm getting dressed, she's like, is everything okay? She always asks, is everybody all right? And I usually, yes. And then she says, did you jig it? <laughs> because those were usually the issues that would come up in the, in, in the phone call that she could hear was uh, me talking. Okay, is the agent okay? He's all right. Okay, we got him taken care of. All right, good. Or it's one of those, all right, I understand. Uh, make sure we jick it. Now she had no idea, and I never even told her what jick means. But that's what she does now. Is everybody okay? Did you jick it? And so it's kind of a funny story. But it, back to your question, and maybe I didn't answer as clear. But you know, I love her. Uh, she's my hero. I'm not afraid to say that. Um, uh, she inspires me. Um, uh, I, 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 this is about us, you know. And uh, and so the job uh, it, it turned into a career. It turned into a passion. Is helping fuel that passion with my family. And, and, and I'm excited every day when I see her. Um, I lived away from her a lot, so that uh, makes those moments that much better. Um, the kids see us together as a husband and wife, and the kids are involved in our lives. Um, we just have a lot of fun, and um, and we do exciting things. We plan exciting things. Their, uh, their sacrifice is very real. A family of a Border Patrol sacrifice is very real. Not only do they watch us go out the door every single day, with the thought that something bad could happen. It's just the nature of the job that we do. But things like having to be apart for protracted periods of time, those one o'clock in the morning phone calls that you mentioned, you have to involve them. You have to let them know. And I would go so far as to say they probably feel like they're part of this green family of the Border Patrol as well. They probably take very seriously when they see things on the news or how we're portrayed. They probably take very seriously what you go through. I think that's a key point to hit on for, for the families that are listening out there is you are every bit as much a part of this Border Patrol family as the men and women that, uh, that wear this uniform because we simply could not do it without them standing behind us and supporting us. No, you're absolutely right because the things that impact us or in, in this situation impacts me could impact her. Uh, with the media, um, an event happens under my command, you know, people know who she is and they're, they're asking questions and she knows she can't say things. Um, but, uh, you know, when she understands or recognizes the stressors that impact me at work, um, she, she wants to make sure I'm there. When we've had uh, critical incidents and tragedies, you know, in, in the patrol, um, she's there for me. Um, she, uh, she has her own career, and, and we, we make sure that we you know, have that clear delineation. But at the end of the day, um, it impacts her as much as it impacts me because she wants to make sure that my head is right 
as I go on and take on these challenges. Um, um, even today, good. I know you're going to do great on your podcast. Uh, you know, I know you're going to do and great. You are. <laughs> oh, thanks. Uh, and, and you're going to do great uh, with the uh, with the class. And then and back to her. She's speaking to the Chamber of Commerce in Miranda today. So I was like, and I know you're going to knock it out of the park because we we uh, we uh, we talk about these type of things. Um, um, and, and and it's good. And my son is uh, again aspiring uh, uh, senior in college. Going to do great things. Looking for a career in law enforcement um, and, and among other things. So. You know, this is something that's real to him, and, and he's proud of his dad, and I'm proud that he's proud of him. And, Are you going to uh, pin a badge on him someday? One day, I, I hope to pin a badge on him. Uh, that's, a, that's a good, uh, something I'm looking forward to. Um, and uh, But, you know, I, I, again, I don't, there's not enough hours in the day for me to explain how the uh, the family is so important. And, whether you, and I tell the new trainees, whether you like it or not, you're part of that family. Your family is part of that family. Um, but it, it's just... You know, we fell in love 25 plus years ago. We got married. Uh, she's been part of this patrol. She she's moved just about everywhere I've had to move. Um, but she finally said, "Hey, you know, enough's enough. Uh, you go to DC. I'll see you when you get back." Because um, she was she was moving up in her career, and, that, and sure. she she had been sacrificing already. And uh, and I recognized that. I said, "You know, um, you know, we had a conversation, and I want her to be successful. Uh, this is about us. It's not about me." And uh, and so. She's looking forward to uh, the, the moment I make a decision down the road. Uh, hey, when are you going to, you know, call it quits with the patrol so you can uh, come over here and, and take care of me? <laughs> and I'm, we're, we're not there yet, but uh, but uh, but it goes by like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's 25 I mean, years in a heartbeat. It's uh, it, it does go by quick. And um, and I can tell you, it's been, been a great, uh, a great experience. And uh, and I'm learning every day. I mean, I'm in a new position uh, uh, in a new location. I've never worked in Yuma. Um, they, I've been on the ground there just a little over a month. Uh, everybody at the sector has been wonderful. They've really given me a soft landing. Um, I've been able to go out to all the stations. I've been uh, on a large part of the line, um, met a handful of stakeholders, but, uh, you know, the patrol in 25 years has been great. Um, but I, but I do want to just one last thing is just say that to everybody listening, uh, the family is a huge piece of this. Uh, the men and women that wear the uniform, and even the men and women that support the professional staff, the admin, the mechanics—they're part of this national security mission, this border security mission. So they all have a stake in this claim, and so uh, uh, we have to make sure that we're investing in our employees so they can invest back in their families. Because um, you know it, it, it's critical. Because you have to be able to turn this off. And there, and I think Chief Scott's been saying it lately. We're not picking our retirement homes. <laughs> it's going to be our family, right? So uh, we need to make sure we're taking care of them. And uh, and, uh, and and so uh, to to all the families that support the men and women in uniform, whether it's border patrol agents or or law enforcement in general, uh, thank the families. Uh, always thank the families. Right. Couldn't have said it better. Let me ask you a couple of questions before we close out. Just first thing off the top of your head: Saints or Texans? Saints. Brady or Breeze? Brady, that kind of that's consistent with what you have on your Facebook account. <laughs> You're a, uh, I'd say, uh, '80s rock fan. Yes. Yeah. Can you name uh, every member of Kiss <laughs> from day one? <laughs> yes, <laughs> to include the ones that uh, only uh, were on the studio albums. So yeah. Let's hear a couple. Okay. Well, you obviously got Paul. You got Gene. You got the original Ace. You got the original Peter. You got Eric Carr, who was the drummer that replaced Peter Chris. Um, then you had. Uh, Benny Vincent, who replaced Ace Freely. Then you had uh, Bruce Kulick. Uh, you had uh, 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 Tommy Thayer, who's there now. I'm drawing blank on the guy from the, uh, I think it was uh, Animal Eyes album. Uh, was there for, uh, uh, Vince, uh, uh, St. John is his last name. And then, of course, uh, I've been to the concerts a couple times. In fact, uh, a rare gym, 1996, 97. Um, we were in Las Vegas, and we saw Ann Murray on a Saturday night. And then that Friday, we saw Kiss at the Pan Am Center in Las Cruces. I don't know if that, talk about a dynamic switch from Snowbird to, <laughs> with Anne Murray to listening to uh, Black Diamond finale at, at Kiss. So yeah, so uh, uh, 70s, 80s, metal, rock, all that. That's, uh, that's, that's where I, uh, when I looked at the headphones, it wasn't plugged into the iPad. You know? It's interesting because there's a lot of people that recognize those bands and, and even the songs yeah. but to be able to uh, be that immersed in. I think that's impressive. I, I probably could go on with several of the bands from back in, right. in that time frame and, uh, and know that you could probably uh, rattle them off the same as well. Yeah, I think uh, uh, if, if if there was a, a doctoral degree program in, 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 in nuclear 
physicists or whatever, and it was put to 70s, 80s metal and rock, uh, I, I would be in a whole different, I'd be working for NASA or something. Uh, <laughs> uh, there, There's a lot of great stuff in here from all the education and opportunities I've had, but there's there's a little bit of nuggets in this brain. I'm like, I don't know why I have this, but it, it is, it's a lot of that free time. It's, it's, it's what I put in when I go to the gym every morning or in the afternoons when I work out, it just depends on the schedule. But yeah, I do. I do like my rock and roll and uh, I'm not ashamed and I'm very proud. That's, impressive. <laughs> That's amazing. Chief, anything that you want to say or message wise to the, to the folks listening out there, whether it be to the agents or the families? Well, I, I, I first I want to thank you. Uh, this is this has been a great experience, and uh, I look forward to uh, more opportunities down the road. Uh, you know, I, I just this is a, a great and, and really an awesome uh, um, agency. Um, the men and women come to do their job every day. Um, you know, we've uh, we've never lost focus. What I what I've told the folks in Yuma is the goalposts have never changed for us. Um, it's to secure the border. It's to make sure you know who is coming in and they're coming in the right way. And, uh, and, and and we're a national security agency. Those goals have never changed. There could be all sorts of different policies and, and asks of us, but at the end of the day, we hold that line. And, and, and I think that uh, whether you've got a day in or you've got 25 years in, that is the mission. And we come to work every day. And, uh, and the people that do that mission, both in the uniform, behind the scenes, are 100% dedicated. Um, we don't get um, we don't get caught up in, in a lot of the, the stuff that gets uh, 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 swirled around in the media. Or um, we just come to work and do our job, and I think that's that's what attracts us, especially those that are committed to this agency. That's why we stay a long time, and uh, um, and, and they're just great people. And I, I wouldn't change it for the world. And like I said, thought about going someplace before I even got in the job, but once I once I became a work trade, it's all I've ever wanted to do. And and I've really uh, been blessed. Um, uh, throughout my life and to be able to ascend and have the opportunity to lead in one new sector. So, um, so to all the board of traders that may or may not be listening to this cast uh, and their families, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, you've been trained well, you've got great leadership. Um, we're not perfect. We never claim to be, uh, we make mistakes, um, but we're, we're listening to you for the ideas and the best way to do the job. And, uh, and we're there to, to champion those, uh, those ideas and, and, and champion the men and women of this organization. Great words from Chief Patrol Agent Chris Clem. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it from the United States Border Patrol Academy with another episode of What's Important Now. We'll talk again soon, but until then, stay safe out there and honor first.